Well, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. It's our passage for this morning. We're moving through Ephesians chapter 6, last chapter. And in this these four verses, Paul talks about family relationships, relationships between fathers and mothers and children, and between children, young people, and their, and their parents. But now before we look at what Paul says in these verses, I want to kind of have us all take a step back and look at the big picture of Paul's flow of thought through the book of Ephesians so far, <clears throat> so we can see what role these verses have in what, Paul is, what Paul's overall message is. So in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, Paul introduces himself as the writer. That's important. And then in chapter 1, verse 3, all the way through to chapter 3, verse 21, he tells them that God has richly blessed them. He's poured out lavish spiritual blessings upon them in Christ. And because of all these spiritual blessings he's given to us as the church, we can be filled with Jesus' love, and we can be filled with the very fullness of God. And because of that, then, we're called to display the glory of God, the glory of Jesus Christ in the world. So that's verses, chapter 1, verse 3, all the way through to chapter 3, verse 21. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, Paul tells us how we can display Jesus' glory in the world. Starting in chapter 4, verse 1, through chapter 5, verse 2, he says we can do this by building each other up in the church, by living lives of love, having relationships of forgiveness, walking in unity together with God's people, that will display Christ's glory to the world around us. Then in chapter 5, verse 3 through verse 21, Paul calls us to show Jesus to the lost people around us by, by not sinning and by intentionally shining the glory of Jesus by our lifestyles to them so that they can see Jesus in our words and in our actions. That's verse 3 through 21 of chapter 5. Then in chapter 5, 22 to 33, which was last week, Paul says that our marriages can display Christ's glory as we husbands sacrificially love and lead our wives and as you wives respectfully and gladly follow the lead of your husbands. That will display the relationship between Christ and the church and the beauty of that to the world around us. That's marriages. And then now, today, we come to chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, where Paul focuses on families. And let's look at what he says. Here's how we in our family relationships can display the glory of Jesus Christ. Start with verse 1. Now get the setting here. Probably when this letter was read, it was a, grew, a mixed group. Children would have been there, parents would have been there, and, and the children would have all heard that Paul is now addressing them. They're the ones he's addressing in verse 1. Children. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Then he quotes from the Old Testament, Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. Then Paul explains, this is the first commandment with a promise. And here's the promise, verse 3, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And then command to fathers. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So what does Paul call children to do? Let's start there. Verse one, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, why does Paul say obey your parents in the Lord? I think the reason is because he wants children to be obeying their parents for the Lord's sake. It's because they trust Jesus Christ. 
Their parents might make mistakes. We parents might be too strict at times or whatever, but children can trust the Lord's going to work through that. So they're, they're obeying their parents for the Lord's sake, which means if their parents, like if some parents are not followers of Christ and they want their children to sin in some way, the children would not obey. But generally speaking, of course, parents are going to have their children be called to do things that are good and wise, and so the children should obey their parents for Jesus' sake. Now, let's be clear on what it means to obey. What does it mean to obey? It means you obey the first time you're asked, and you obey cheerfully, right? And so the appropriate thing to say is, yes, mom, yes, dad, or if you're from Texas, it's yes, sir, yes, ma'am, okay? That's how it works. So just some examples. But again, Paul wants this to flow from faith in Christ. So if, if the father says, hey, kid, it's time to leave the park and head home, the children, because they're trusting Jesus, they say, yes, dad, and they head to the car. That's obedience. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Okay. If young people, your mother says, it's time to turn off the TV, okay, you trust Jesus. Jesus, I'm trusting you here. And you say, yes, mom. TV gets turned off. Amazing. All right. If your dad says homework needs to get done before computer games, okay, young people, you trust Jesus, okay, and you say, yes, dad, and you happily open up the books and start doing your homework. Okay, so obedience means first time you're asked cheerfully, happily, for Jesus' sake. Parents, doesn't that sound good? Less than enthusiastic than I thought it was going to be. Okay, now, no family's perfect, and no, children's, no child's obedience is going to be perfect, but I want you to get, get a, a vision here of how much Jesus Christ will be glorified in Abu Dhabi as we grace church with our children as, as there's growing obedience, as we are growing in obedience. Again, it's never going to be perfect, but can you see how beautiful it would be at a park or in a grocery store or just in your home when there's a yes mom or a yes dad? and a happy, willing obedience. So that's what Paul's getting at here. This is another way that we as the church can display the glory of Christ. Again, the obedience will never be perfect, all right? We're raising sinners, okay? Saved sinners we trust, or if not, they soon will be. It's not gonna be perfect, but we can grow in it, and God will help us grow in it, and he will help our children to grow in it. So that's what Paul commands children. Now, it's amazing in verses two and three how Paul motivates obedience, the way he wants children's obedience to be motivated. How is it? How does Paul motivate children to obey? Look at verses two and three. He really emphasizes this, so we got to get this. Honor your father and mother. Like I said, that's a, command, that's a quote from the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. And then Paul says, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now again, this is a quote from the Ten Commandments. It's, it's a combination of Exodus chapter 20 and then Deuteronomy 5. Those are the two places in the Old Testament where the Ten Commandments are, are stated. Let me read you from Exodus 20 verse 12. We'll see the Exodus version, which is very close to Deuteronomy. In Exodus, first time the Ten Commandments are given, honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And then it's the Deuteronomy version where Moses adds that it may go well with you. Paul puts those together when he quotes it in Ephesians. So one way to honor your father and mother, young people, is by obeying them. 
It's one way to follow the Ten Commandments. And it's important that young people and that children understand that this is the first commandment with a promise. None of the other nine commands had a promise specifically attached to the commandment. The first command has a promise in its explanation, but this is the only one that has a promise specifically attached to the commandment. So again, the way Paul is motivating children to obey is with a promise. Now let's read Ephesians 6, 2 and 3 again, just so you see that. Paul is talking to the children, honor your father and mother. Then he wants to point out, this is the first commandment with a promise, and then here's the promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Now, this is not the only place in the Bible where a command is motivated by a promise. Most all the commandments are motivated by promises. If not immediately attached to it in the surrounding context somewhere, I would encourage you to be on the lookout for promises that motivate commandments. And so what Paul is doing here is he's motivating children to obey with a promised reward. Now, it's crucial that we not misunderstand how these promised rewards work. Paul is not saying that children's obedience will earn or deserve this promised reward. Many other religions teach that we earn or deserve good from God. That is not the case for two reasons. One reason is this. We've all sinned against God. Children have Young people, adults, thousands and thousands of times, we've all sinned against God and we deserve only his punishment forever. When we want to talk about what we deserve, that's what we deserve. That's what we have earned by our lives. And see, no obedience can make up for that because obedience isn't like extra credit. That's just doing what we're supposed to do. So even if you obeyed perfectly from this point on, you'd still be deserving of only judgment and punishment because of your past sin. So that's the first reason is because of our past sin. But a second reason is even our best moments of obedience, if we're honest, will admit are tinged with wrong motives, um, pride, self-righteousness, right? We don't like that. We pray against it. We resist it. But it's, we're never perfectly sinless until heaven. We're fighting it here, we're battling, we're, we've got victories, but we're never perfectly sinless. And so even a child's best moments of obedience still are tinged with sin and don't deserve a promised reward. So do you see why promises are not saying that if you obey, you are earning or deserving a promised reward? Do you see that? Is that clear? Now, then why does God or how does God promise us rewards then? There's only one reason. It's because of Jesus Christ. Just like we've sung this morning. Jesus died on the cross to pay the guilt of all the sin of all those who would trust him. If he hadn't paid for our sins on the cross, we could never deserve any promised reward from God. But Jesus died on the cross and paid for our sins. And so because of what Jesus did, God in his mercy promises to reward our undeserving faith and obedience with rewards. 
Let me state that again. This is so important. Because of what Jesus did, if Jesus hadn't done it, no rewards. No matter how hard you would try to obey, we're all facing judgment forever if Jesus hadn't died for us. Are we clear? So important. So because of Jesus' death, God mercifully promises to reward our undeserving faith and obedience with his promises. So see, even when we get the promised reward, this is not deserved by me. All glory goes to you. So we get the blessing, he gets the glory, it's all by his grace, that's how rewards work, and that's what's going on in this passage here. Now with that in mind, read Ephesians 6, 2 and 3 again. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with the promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long on the earth. So if you're a young person here this morning, and if you're trusting Jesus, you're saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and you, you honor your father and mother by obeying, God will reward your undeserving obedience with more of his promised reward. It will go well with you, and you will live long in the land. Now, what does that mean? What does that promise mean? refer to. Now, to understand this promise, we need to remember that the whole Old Testament was pointing ahead towards Jesus, the coming Messiah. The whole Old Testament is looking ahead. Look ahead, look ahead, look what's coming. And so God's promises in the Old Testament are, are we need to understand them in light of Christ. So for example, some Old Testament promises are already fulfilled in Christ and are no longer relevant for us, the church today. Like the promise in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, which said that the Messiah would be born in where? Bethlehem. Amazing. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born, Micah the prophet prophesied the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. And where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. Now, that still is an encouraging promise for us, but we're not trusting that it's already happened. So that promise has already been fulfilled in Christ. Many other promises in the Old Testament are affirmed in Christ. That is, they're true for us because of what Jesus has done. Let me give you two examples. In Romans chapter 4, Paul repeats a promise in Psalm 32 about the fact that God forgives our sins. And of course, in Christ, that's why God can forgive our sins. So the Psalm 32 promise of forgiveness is true for us in Christ. We can cling to that promise as the church today. That Old Testament promise is ours. That's why, for example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, Paul says, for as many as may be the promises of God in Christ, they are yes to us. Another example, uh, Joshua chapter 1, verse 5, the promise where God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Well, the author of Hebrews quotes that in Hebrews 13. And so that's a promise that is affirmed for us in Jesus Christ because Christ died on the cross. Everyone who trusts him, God will be with you now and forever. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. So some promises are fulfilled and no longer relevant for us, although we're still encouraged by them. Other promises are affirmed in Christ and do apply to us. But there's a third category. Other promises are enlarged in Christ, expanded in Christ and applied to us in that expanded way. And that's what I think Paul is doing in Ephesians 6 when he quotes from Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. Because understand, 
when Paul quotes that promise in Ephesians, he's talking about living long in the land. Well, he's quoting from the, the, the Old Testament, from the Ten Commandments. What land is the Ten Commandments talking about? The promised land, the land of Canaan. So she's scratching her head saying, our kids are gonna live long in Palestine? No. So let me show you what's going on here. See if you, this may be a new thought for some of you. See if you're persuaded, I hope you are. Um, Start with Genesis 13, 14, and 15. Here's God's promise of the land, the promised land, the land of Canaan, to Abraham. Look at what we read, Genesis 13, 14, and 15. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Abram, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. So here God promises Abram the land, the promised land, the land of Canaan. But in Hebrews eleven thirteen, we read that Abram never received that land while he was here on earth. Look at Hebrews eleven thirteen. The author of Hebrews says, these all died in faith. He's talking about Abram, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, including the land. And if you read Genesis, Abram, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, they were sojourners and wanderers the whole time. They never received the land. That wasn't until years later. So these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. So during Abram's lifetime here on earth, he did not receive this promise. But God is faithful to his promises. When God makes a promise, he always keeps the promise. And we see how Abram is receiving this promise in Romans chapter 4, verse 13. Look at what Paul says. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring, that he would be heir of the world, did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So Paul understands that in Genesis 13, God is promising Abram the land of Canaan and the promised land yet, and, and Abram's going to get the promised land and the Canaan and, and Canaan and the whole world in the life to come, the new heavens and the new earth. Remember when Jesus said in the Beatitudes, uh, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That's you, and that's me. His followers, by the fruit of the Spirit, meekness, we will inherit the earth. So this promise of the land was fulfilled for the people of Israel. Abram didn't receive it, but he and believing Israel and believing Gentiles will all receive the new heavens and the new earth to enjoy the glory of God, being the presence of Jesus with all the redeemed in the new heavens and the new earth, men and women from every nation, tongue, and tribe forever. So this third category of promise where God takes an Old Testament promise and enlarges it in Christ, and that's what's going on here in Ephesians chapter 6. It's been enlarged. Now, Another reason why I believe that is because there's a phrase that Paul leaves out of the promise in Ephesians 6, 2, and 3. And compare Exodus 20, verse 12 with Ephesians 6, 2, and 3, 
And notice which phrase he leaves out. Here's Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now that's a statement of the promised land being given to Israel in a, in a little while after this, these words were spoken. Now read Ephesians 6, 2 and 3. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land, period. So Paul left out the phrase that the Lord your God is giving you as a pointer to the fact that this is more than that land. This is more than the promised land. This is more than the land of Canaan. This is the whole world. This is the new heavens and the new, new earth. So, young people, children, you're trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior, your Lord, and your treasure. And your father, your mother, ask you to do something. And because you trust Jesus, you say, yes, Mom, yes, Dad, and you happily obey and the promise is that God, because of Jesus' death paying for your sins, God will reward your undeserving obedience with more joy in his presence in the new heavens and the new earth forever. Young people, children, take heed to that. And parents, that's how we motivate our children. That's how Paul wants us to motivate our children. So that's Paul's command to children, verses 1 through 3. Now, Paul has commands for fathers. Look at verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I think the reason Paul addresses just fathers here is because in the previous passage where Paul's talking to husbands and wives, he says that husbands are to be the loving and sacrificial head of the family. They are ultimately responsible for what happens in the family. And so fathers, you are ultimately responsible for your children being raised. Now, your wife is going to have a huge role in that, but you're ultimately responsible. I think that's why Paul addresses fathers here. And he gives fathers three commands. Let's, let's pay heed to each of them. First, do not provoke your children to anger. Don't provoke them to anger. Now, there will be times when your children are angry at you. You, you, you. you lay down some guidelines and they may not be happy. That, that's okay. Paul's not saying that, that that won't happen. But I think what Paul is addressing in particular is be careful about being too strict with your children. Be careful about constantly nagging, scolding, constantly riding your children. You know what I mean? Just always on them. Be careful about that. And be very careful about never affirming or encouraging your children. So think about it. I think we should have as our goal, fathers and mothers, our goal should be to have the affirmation and the love and the encouragement outweigh the correction. Okay? Outweigh that there will be times needed for correction. Clear correction. But oh, go out of your way to make sure that, that the affirmation and the encouragement far outweighs that. I mean, think about it. When was the last time, dads, that, that you got down on your, on your child's level and you said, great job cleaning your room. Fantastic. Thank you so much. I'm so proud of you. This is really good to your son or to your daughter. I mean, what, how powerful that is. Think about that. It's so powerful. Or we're just, just out of nowhere, just, just say, you know what? I'm so glad I get to be your, be your dad 
or I'm so glad I get to be your mom. You are such a gift to us. We praise God for bringing you into our family. I mean, parents do that and do that more and then do that a whole lot even more. So that, that will encourage your children. So be careful about being too strict. Be careful about nagging and be careful about not having there be encouragement and affirmation. So that, that's what I think is involved in do not provoke your children to anger. Second, bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. Okay, this word discipline has the meaning of training. It's supposed to be training our children. So fathers, along with mothers, you're responsible to be training your children. You are a trainer. You are a child trainer. Did you know that? That's your job. You are a trainer. And there's lots of areas. I mean, think of all the areas. You need to train your child to tie her shoes or his shoes, right? You need to train your child to say, please, and to say, thank you, and to say, you're welcome, right? This doesn't come naturally. We need to train them to do that. You need to train children. Here's how we eat a meal together as a family. Okay, we sit down, we pray, we eat, we talk together, we're respectful. That takes some training sometimes, doesn't it? We know it can definitely take some training. Um, here's how you wash the dishes. That's a very valuable thing to train. Okay, here's, here's how you wash the dishes. But I mean, the list just like, here's how, to, here's how you read the Bible. Here's how you pray. Here's how you confess sin. There's just so many areas of training. Okay, so let's, let's have those in mind. But I think especially what Paul has in mind here is the command of verse one. Parents, we are to train our children to obey. That's part of your job. You are here as a parent to train your son, to train your daughter to obey. First time they're asked, happily. And that, that's a tall order, right? It is a tall order. And there's two ways, before I get there, let me recommend a book. I know many of you have read this. Jan and I, this was so helpful when we read it years ago. It's called Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. I'd recommend it. It'll point you to pastors in the scripture that will help shape your theology and your practice of child raising. We found it very, very helpful to us. So let me recommend that. And in this book, the author pointed my attention to Proverbs 29, verse 15, which was so helpful in shaping our child raising. Here's Proverbs 29, 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom. But a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. So there's two aspects here. There's the rod and there's reproof. Let's start with reproof. What, what is reproof? Reproof is where you, you're, you're not yelling at your child, okay? You're not screaming at them, okay? If you have anger issues, we talked about this last week. The last half of Ephesians chapter 4 is very good about anger. Listen to those sermons. Have some others be praying for you, okay? We don't... We don't want to do these things out of anger. So reproof, don't, don't have a picture of an angry person, but it's loving, calm, firm correction. That's what it is. Johnny, it's not right to hit people. Jesus wants us to love people. That's, that's wrong. That's sin. Okay, that's correction. Or Sally, Jesus calls us not to lie. Let's, let's, let's work on not lying. That, that's, that's sin. 
He doesn't want us to do that. So again, it's calm, it's clear, it's direct. There's more that you'd say, love and affirmation. We'll talk about some more things to say in a moment, but that, that's correction. And, and as we speak correction, make sure that, that in the context we're, we're pointing them to Jesus, right? Pointing them to Jesus. Jesus loves you. Jesus will forgive you for, for hitting Billy over there. He will forgive you. If, if you confess this, he will forgive you and he will help you not hit Billy again. Let's pray and ask him for help. I know it can be hard. Let's pray. Ask him for help. Do you see how this works? Okay, this is reproof. This is correction. And reproof gives wisdom. If, if we don't reprove, if we don't correct, the child will walk away lacking wisdom that they would have had had you reproved them and corrected them. Don't hold that gift back from them. Take the step. So that's reproof. Now, what is the rod? Well, the rod involves spanking. That's what's being talked about here. Now, I, I'm sure many of you are from countries where any kind of spanking is discouraged, and there's even some countries where it's outlawed, I believe. And I would imagine that some of you, are, you don't believe in spanking. All right. Um, I'd like to persuade you otherwise this morning. See if I can persuade you. I know it's a tall order. We love you. Do you do love me? I, 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 we love, I love you. But let me just encourage you to, to rethink it. And again, look at Proverbs 29, 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom. The rod gives wisdom. There's benefit that will come to your child, the Bible teaches, by using the rod. Now, spanking in the Bible is never out of anger. Ever is it out of anger. Never spank your child out of anger. Spanking is not getting back at them for what they've done. It should break your heart to do this. It is one of the hardest things you will do. But God will use it to bring them wisdom. And then also look at Proverbs 22, verse 15. This is another amazing, encouraging proverb. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Well, this is encouraging. You know, what's folly? Well, folly is a word often used in the book of Proverbs, and it, it, it's similar to sin. It's sin. It describes sin. And so what it's saying is folly, sin, is bound up in the heart of your child. Now, you maybe have been taught that children are born innocent. I haven't found one yet that's been born innocent. Ours certainly weren't born innocent. I mean, why don't you have to teach a child to lie? Where did they, who taught them that? That was already in them. The Bible teaches very clearly that we were all born in sin. You were, and I was. So children are not born innocent. They're, they're born, just like you and me, be sinful people. But see, the good news is that the wise, loving, firm, consistent use of spanking, Proverbs 22:15 says, it will drive folly far from them. So I would appeal to you parents, because you love your child so much, spank, never angrily, never to punish them, but wisely, firmly, and with Jesus, the whole context, and I'll talk more about how to do that in a moment, because it will give them wisdom and because it will drive folly from their hearts 
And if you don't, they will not get the wisdom and they'll be left with folly that they could have been freed from. So just let, let that weigh on you. Um, here's some specific recommendations and I only have time to go for a few. Again, this, this book I recommended will be helpful. You can talk to other parents here for help. Only spank for clear disobedience, not for clumsiness or immaturity. If your child spills their bowl of cereal on the floor by accident, do not spank them for that. That was an accident, okay? I know you're not happy, all right? But you don't spank over that, you understand? We only spank when, there's, when they say no. <laughs> Bing! Time for some foolishness to be driven far from, from the child, okay? If they look at you and say, cereal bowl goes over, that, that, okay. But again, not out of anger, all right? So, so are we clear? I mean, they will do things that, 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 that upset you, just out of clumsiness, out of immaturity. You just say, Jesus, help me to trust you. Help me to trust you. All things work together for good. Great good, great good is coming to me through this, okay? All right. I've said this before, never ever spank when you're angry. I mean, with Jan and I, there are times where we said, to our children, we'll be right back. <laughs> Go into the bedroom, close the door. Oh God, <laughs> help me. I'm, I'm very angry right now. And just pray until the anger's gone and then, and then we can commence. Okay. I would encourage you to be, be consistent. Be consistent. Um, I think, I mean, our practice was to spank whenever there was clear disobedience. Whenever there was no or whenever there was a clear guideline, a clear request or a clear command and, and they just simply didn't obey. And that happens with every child, right? Okay? But, but again, f folly is there. Lack of wisdom is there. Spanking will remove that far from them and it'll give them wisdom. So let's, let's take the step. Um, and then go to a private place for the spanking. Just hear some practical things. Explain to your child you know, you've disobeyed me, and I love you, and Jesus loves you, but, but he, he calls you to obey us. And so it's sin not to obey. And, and God can use the spanking now to change your heart. He can use the spanking to change your heart. We'll never forget one time in our, in our family, our son needed a spanking. And I think Jan was carrying him back to the bedroom, and, and Anna said, it's okay, Bradley. Jesus will change your heart through this or something like that. It was so cute. <laughs> anyway, um, but so you, you explain to them and, and then you need to spank them so, so that they feel it. Okay, so we used a wooden spoon. It was like, it was like that, that's, that's what it was like, okay? You, you feel it, all right? Now, don't, don't try to spank through the diaper. Okay, diapers, I mean, they, they are very effective as padding and, 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 and it'll just be like, that's like, what was that? Anyway, okay. Um, you want there to be sorrow in their heart over their sin, and, 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 and God will use this to bring that about, and then you hold them, you love them, you hug them, you pray with them, you assure them that because they are sorry and because they've asked Jesus to forgive them, he's forgiven them, you've forgiven them, and the beautiful thing is, at that point, it's over and done with, and you're back to everything's fine. There's no lingering, like, mom's really mad, today, or dad's really, really upset, it, it's over, it's done, and you move on. Joy, harmony, love, that's how it works. Now, one more thing. 
when your child, when, when your child disobeys, okay, don't be discouraged. Listen, they, like us, we were born in sin. Um, they will disobey. Don't, don't take it personally. This is a discipleship moment. This is an opportunity to impart wisdom. This is an opportunity to remove some foolishness from their hearts. Okay, so, and, and again, every parent here, there's no parent here that has perfect children. Are there? No. So we're a team together. So if, if another parent's child disobeys, it's like, I get it. Go take care of it. We're with you, you know. Right? We're, we're all in this together, right? It, it's, it's work. It's not easy. All right, so that's the second command that Paul gives to fathers and mothers. Bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. And then third, bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. Now, this has to do with teaching them about Jesus, teaching them the Bible, teaching them the gospel. Now, we have a wonderful children's ministry here, and they teach your children about Jesus and about the Bible and about the gospel, but they aren't the main teachers of your child. You are the main teacher of your child, of your children. You are. And it is so beautiful, it is so powerful for a mother to be reading the Bible to her son or daughter or both or however many there are, for a father to be praying with his son, daughter, with, with children, with the family. It's a beautiful thing. So this is your responsibility, parents. Children's ministry will come alongside and help you. We will partner with you. But the responsibility rests ultimately on you. So here's some suggestions. Read the Bible to them. Children's Bibles can be helpful, but I would encourage you as soon as possible to read an adult Bible to them. They'll pick up more than you think because this is the words of God right here. Again, use children's Bibles, use children's books. They're a great gift, but don't neglect reading the Bible to them. Secondly, live a life of trusting Jesus before them. Display what it means to follow Jesus live what it means to follow Jesus. So, for example, pray with them about work problems. When I used to be in real estate 30 plus years ago, and I had a, a tough escrow situation, we would pray. They didn't know what escrow was, but they knew we needed to pray because dad's got an escrow problem, and we, and we always pray that these work, and, and, and they worked out. So you, you pray together about your work problems. When you become impatient with them or lose your temper with them, sit down with them and, and confess your sin to them. Say, I'm sorry, I, I, was, I lost my temper this morning. Would you please forgive me? I've asked Jesus to forgive me. I need to ask you to forgive me. Would you forgive me? That is so powerful for a child to see mom, to see dad confessing their sin to you. So the child isn't the only one who sins. Mom and dad sins too. We've all got Jesus. Okay, we're going to make it. This is going to work. Do you see how hope-giving that would be for a child? It's a beautiful thing. Remember that your aim is not just obedience. Your aim is heartfelt trust in Jesus. This is your aim, the heart, the heart. So when they sin, yes, correct them. Yes, love them, spank them. But point them to the cross. Point them to Jesus' love. Point them to forgiveness. And model Jesus' forgiveness for them when the spanking's over. I love you. I forgive you. I know what it is to sin. Jesus forgives me too. Let's head into the rest of this day together. So 
Model that. You're targeting faith in Christ. When they do well, affirm them, compliment them, encourage them, and, and point them to the grace of Jesus. Look at what Jesus is doing in your heart. Johnny, this is beautiful. He lets you share your toys with Sally. That's fantastic, okay? So point them to Jesus' grace. When they struggle to obey, because we know how hard it is to, to obey, right? Kids struggle to obey too. So encourage them to pray. Ask Jesus. To, in fact, let's pray right now. Billy, let's pray that Jesus will help you to, to not be angry this afternoon when we go to this person's house that you get angry at sometimes, or whatever it might be. When they aren't sharing, encourage them, Jesus can fill your heart so much with himself that you will gladly share your toys with the other kids. He will fill your heart more than toys ever will. Let's pray and ask him to come and do that. Do you see how this works? So we're modeling this. And most of all, pray, 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 and then pray some more. And nothing has driven Jan and me to our knees as much as raising our children. Nothing. I mean, there were many times when we felt absolutely overwhelmed with what to do and how do we deal with this and, oh, Lord, help us. And he met us again and again and again and again, and he will do the same for you. Now, let me close with an illustration uh, from the life of John Payton. Okay, John Payton, this is, we're talking 1800s now, he was one of the first missionaries to the South Pacific Islands east of Australia, east of Papua New Guinea. Previous missionaries had landed on some of those islands and had immediately been clubbed, killed, and eaten by cannibals. And John Payton and his wife, knowing that, went to a different island and God protected them and they saw hundreds of South Pacific Islanders brought to faith in Christ. But I want to tell you about John Payton's father. And, and I want to tell you what happened at a time in John Payton's life, which he wrote about in his autobiography. And I think you can read between the lines and see what kind of relationship the father and, at this point, 20-year-old John Payton had. The amount of prayer that took place, the amount of correction that took place, the affection that was there, the love that was there, the bonding that was there. I was reading this to Jan, I just got all choked up reading a tour yesterday. Here's the situation. John Payton writes about the day when he left home and was walking to Glasgow, Scotland, to go to school, I think 15 miles away, and his father had decided he would walk him halfway there. So get the picture. I've got it up here. I'm going to read it all to you. But again, feel the amount of love that was there, the training, the prayer, the affection. And just for mothers and fathers, let this be a model of, of what could happen between you and your children. John Payton writes, My dear father walked with me the first six miles of the way. His counsel and tears on that journey are as fresh in my heart as if it had been but yesterday. And tears are on my cheeks even now whenever I remember it. For the last half mile, we walked on together in almost unbroken silence. My father, as was often his custom, carrying hat in hand, his lips kept moving in silent prayers for me. And his tears fell fast when our eyes met each other in looks for which all speech was vain. We halted on reaching the appointed parting place. He grasped my hand firmly in silence and then solemnly and affectionately said, 
God bless you, my son. Your father's God prosper you and keep you from all evil. Unable to say more, his lips kept moving in silent prayer. In tears we embraced and parted. I ran off as fast as I could. And when about to turn a corner in the road where he would lose sight of me, I looked back and saw him still standing with head uncovered where I had left him, gazing after me. Waving my hat goodbye, I rounded the corner and out of sight in an instant, but my heart was too full and sad to carry me further, so I stopped by the side of the road and wept. Then, rising up cautiously, I climbed the dike to see if he was still standing where I had left him, and just at that moment, I caught a glimpse of him climbing the dike and looking for me. He did not see me, and after he gazed eagerly in my direction for a while, he got down, set his face toward home, and began to return, his head still uncovered, and his heart, I felt sure, still rising in prayers for me. I watched through blinding tears till his form faded from my gaze, and then, hastening on my way, vowed deeply and oft, often, by the help of God, to live and act so as never to grieve or dishonor such a father and mother as he had given me. Do you see how Jesus' glory was shining through this interaction between the father and the son? And the years of parenting from father and mother leading up to that point. Such a display of Christ's glory. So Grace Church, I want to call those of you who are parents, let me, those of you who are young people and children, obey your parents in the Lord. Okay. And parents, let's give ourselves afresh to raising our children in the Lord, to loving them, to reproving them, to disciplining them, to affirming them, encouraging them, teaching them, confessing our sins to them, parenting them the way God would have us do. Because this will glorify Jesus to Abu Dhabi. This will display his beauty to Abu Dhabi. So let's do that. Let's stand together. I pray for young people here, Lord, that they would be so captured at the thought of you, because of Jesus, mercifully rewarding them with more joy in Christ forever in the new heavens and new earth, that that promise would stir them to want to gladly obey their parents the first time they're asked. Lord, I pray, work that into, into their hearts. It's not easy obeying parents, but help them with that promise, I pray. And Lord, I pray for those of us who are parents, that we would give ourselves afresh to loving our children, correcting our children, disciplining our children, training our children. Lord, we can feel completely inadequate many times. And it's true, Lord, we are not able to do this on our own. But you will help us. And so, Lord, help us. Help us, God. Give us fresh faith for this. Fresh 
vision for this. Give us fresh love, fresh wisdom, fresh energy for this, I pray. And would you bless every parent and every parent-child relationship that's here in Grace Church, pour out your blessing. We pray for the children, young people here. We pray that you'd bring them to faith in Christ, that you would change their hearts, that you'd remove foolishness from their hearts, save them. Lord, bless each family here with beautiful father-son, father-daughter, mother-son, mother-daughter relationships. We pray for the, the glory of Christ. Amen.